we're in a message series from the New Testament book of Acts, Spirit, Mission, and Drama. The title of today's message is Holy Spirit Partners. And all of us in this room, we've been, we've been blessed in some way through various uh, strategic and helpful partnerships over the years. I mean, just think, every time, every time you board a flight and you go somewhere significant or fun, um, you know, be thankful for Wilbur and Orville Wright. And those brothers had a pretty significant partnership, and the impact of that is still ongoing. Or take uh, two brothers-in-law, William and James. They were both immigrants. They were both entrepreneurs. William was a candle maker. James was a soap maker. They were both living in Ohio. They married sisters, the Norris sisters. And their father-in-law gave them some advice, said, you guys need to congeal and pool your efforts. And like any wise person would do, they listened to their father-in-law. And so William Proctor and James Gamble became Proctor and Gamble. And to this day, whenever you buy Crest toothpaste or Bounty paper towels, you know, you're, ben you're benefited by that partnership. But the most jaw-dropping partnership ever is actually our partnership with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God does not need us, but he chooses to need us. And that's just a, a, a wonderful thing. Uh, so we cooperate with the Lord. We are in this together. And God chooses to need us and with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is simply the real and visible presence of God within you and among you. And the Lord works with us. Now let me put a little definition here on the screen. The word mission. Live on mission, people say. Live on purpose. And I agree. Let me define it for you, I think, as a, as a believer. To be on mission, it's the intentional spiritual investment in the life of another. Let me say it one more time. The intentional spiritual investment in the life of another. It could be it could be a project. It could be a program. I mean, there's nothing wrong with serving in a program. We have people in this church who are, for example, legacy Sunday school teachers. For years, they taught one generation and then the next generation and then another generation. I grew up in a church where uh, Mrs. Pogue, she taught my older sister, she taught people older than them, taught me when I would take my kids back home to visit. She was still teaching. There are all sorts of ways to be on, on mission. It's simply living with the mindset of, I'm going to make a spiritual investment in the life of another person. Christian parents do that all the time. Sometimes it's through a program. Sometimes it's through a project that lasts a month, six months, nine months or so. Sometimes it's through personal opportunities. I mean, the Good Samaritan it wasn't a program or a project. It was just, there you go. And, and, and we do this for believers. 
And, and we do this also for non, non-believers. And, and sometimes when we're acting uh, on mission, we are the actual doer. Sometimes we're the underwriter, <laughs> the sender. Sometimes a little of both. Sometimes it's local. Sometimes it's global. Um, for most of us in this room, most of our service for the Lord is going to be local. It's going to be in your family, in your community, in your church, in the marketplace. Here you go. For some of us, though, God will say, hey, you're being really effective here, and I think for a season you should go elsewhere. And we want to send you to another nation, to another place. You know, we have, we sponsor a number of missionaries here, and we have several in our church who spent um, time in short-term mission trips, some in much longer-term mission trips. I would say to all of us here, your life is one long mission trip. And every single week is a short-term mission trip as we live intentionally seeking to be a really good representative of Jesus in our homes, in our communities, in the marketplace. Um, but, you know, I'm so grateful for those who've gone to other nations. Uh, many of you uh, have met uh, Justin and uh, Allison Thompson. Justin is the new executive director for Lifeline Chaplaincy. In other words, he's the new Virgil Fry. He's Virgil Fry 2.0. That's uh, Justin Thompson. They spent 12 years in uh, Peru. And uh, I, I just think, think that's uh, terrific. Let's start reading here. Acts chapter 13. We come to um, the uh, multi-ethnic church in Antioch, located in modern-day Syria. We start reading here at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice, while they were worshiping, while they were fasting, fasting is simply an indication of intensity. It might be a partial fast, might be a complete fast, but it's a way to express our intensity. And while they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit says, set apart uh, Barnabas and Saul. How that happened, I don't know. But it happened, and it was obvious. And so, then, verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the church prays, the church fasts, the church sets apart Barnabas and Saul. They lay hands on them, which is simply an indication that we are with you. We affirm you, we confirm you, and we are behind you. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Mission is rooted in the worship of our limitless God. Mission is rooted in worship. In other words, what we do for the Lord, whatever it might be, it grows out of our time with the Lord. And it's like today. If, if you are here attending a worship service, I'm not sure you're going to get much out of this time, quite honestly. 
But if you are participating in a worship experience, if you are humbling yourself and bringing yourself before the Lord and actually praising Him and worshiping Him for His grace, His goodness, His glory. Listen, my friends, you can't come before a holy, wonderful, fantastic God who's full of grace and mercy and, and hold a grudge. You just, that's just hard to do. That's hard to do. It's hard to praise a God who's full of glory and wonder and goodness, who's done so much, and to just sit on your hands and say, here, here am I, Lord, but send somebody else. <laughs> Mission is rooted in, in worship. Dean Gilliland says this, Worship is not meant to be an ingrown, self-enhancing, cultic act done by and on behalf of a select group. Worship is a celebration of what God did in Christ. Worship, therefore, never ends with the lives of the worshipers, but it ends in mission. And for all of us, we're all called into ministry to represent Jesus Christ, to represent Him well. And for most of us, that's going to be in our community, in the marketplace, in our home. There you go. So, but Saul and Barnabas set apart for a unique mission here. And the two of them, verse 4, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. You say, Ronnie, I need to see a map on this. I got a map for you later. So they've been in Antioch. They go down to the port city, Seleucia, 16 miles away. They sail to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, this is the, uh, a port city on the eastern end of Cyprus. Listen to what it says. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them as their helper. This is the typical MO of Saul and Barnabas and many early Christian missionaries. What would they do? They would go to a town. They would go to a synagogue. The synagogues were small. These are small communities. This is a non-mobile culture. And people would discuss Scripture. And so they would discuss Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures that pointed to whom? The Messiah. And they would say, not that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And they would go to synagogues and proclaim the Lord. And sometimes there were open doors for the gospel. Sometimes not so much. But notice what the text says. They went there and they proclaimed the Word of God, the Scriptures, and the teachings of Jesus. And you know what the Word of God does. The Word of God teaches you and me what to believe and what not to believe. How to behave and how not to behave. And let me just say to us here in 2022, let's not just listen to the voices in our own head. Let's not just listen to the voices of the city. Let's listen to the sacred scriptures, what to believe, what not to believe, how to behave, 
how not to behave. But if you want to know what one of the uh, key points of their uh, teaching, it's in Acts 13, but let me put a second statement up here on the screen for you to write down. That is, we are sent with a clear message to proclaim that as Christians, there is a belief system that's our foundation and our parameters. And here's the heart of what Saul and Barnabas were preaching and teaching from Acts 13. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. You see what he's doing right there in the synagogue? David is everybody's hero. He points to David, but he said, David died. David's body decayed. But there is one whose body did not see decay. And who is that one? Verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. May I stop right there? I don't know of a more beautiful statement in the Bible than that. Unless it's the next statement. And through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. From every sin. Notice this. Don't overlook this next line. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Interesting phrase. Do you remember that under the law of Moses, there were certain sins that were capital sins? You were stoned for those. In Jesus Christ... The only capital sin is to have a hard heart against Jesus and resist him. But their message was there is one who's been raised from the dead, that is Jesus Christ. And there's not a pantheon of beliefs. There is a belief in Christ, and it's through him. Everyone who believes in Christ is set free from every sin. In other words, he's preaching not a philosophy, but history. May I just remind you, Jesus was voluntarily punished in our place to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. So God can justly forgive sin, restoring relationship between God and mankind. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what does it accomplish? It washes us clean, sanctifies us, justifies us gives us new life, reconciles us, adopts us, redeems us, protects us, fills us with peace, gives us eternal life. My friends, there's a reason the gospel is called good news. And when you draw close to the Lord in worship, good things are going to happen. Well, verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. You say, Ronnie, I need a map. Okay, here's your map right here. Take a look. 
If you look at the two o'clock, your two, your two o'clock position on the map, you'll see the town of Antioch, and that's where Saul and Barnabas were set apart. They travel 16 miles to Seleucia, to the port city, and off they go, sailing to Cyprus, which is the third largest island in the Mediterranean. They land at the eastern end, and then they travel 100 miles across the island to Paphos. By the way, Barnabas, this is his home turf. This is where he is. This is where he grew up, where he went to high school, right here. So they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. He would be a leading Roman government official. And the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, he opposed them and he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, who's also called Paul, Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul is Gentile name, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked straight at Elamus and he said, you are a child of the devil. You are an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, and will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, I'm about to say something. It could be probably misconstrued. I'm going to ask that you trust, trust my heart. You don't need to be the kind of person who goes around looking for a fight. But you don't need to run from one either when it's appropriate to defend the gospel. Saul did not try to pick a fight with Elimus, the sorcerer. But when that sorcerer tried to prevent the proconsul from coming to real faith in real Jesus, Saul engaged him. And now the hand of the Lord is against you. And you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. This sorcerer, and by the way, real powers, there is an underworld, there is a demonic world. But now he experiences the same discipline that Saul himself had experienced back on the Damascus Road, and he is completely helpless. But God's purpose in this was to do what? Wake him up, arouse his faith so that he might turn to the Lord. Did he? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us, verse 12, that when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And the greatest work, it's not the blindness of the sorcerer. The greatest demonstration of God's power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, Cyprus, 
to this day, it's over 95% Christian. Well over 95% Christian. Predominantly Greek Orthodox, but a majority of the population holds to a form of Christianity. Here's a third thing I want you to write down. The kingdom does not advance without struggle, without setbacks, without opposition. And sometimes that opposition will be demonic. Satan and his demons have not retired from their work. Until Jesus comes back, they have a measure of freedom to work. The Bible tells us we're engaged in a real battle. It's not laser tag. Real battle with a real enemy who is potent. And that's one of the reasons we're taught to put on the whole armor of God and to pray, deliver us from evil. It is fun to be on mission for the Lord. To every week think, you know, I get to represent Jesus. You get to represent Jesus in a home, in a marketplace, wherever you might be. And you want to make a difference. And, it's, and there's so much fulfillment there. But don't be shocked. Don't be disillusioned that there will be times of opposition and difficulty and disappointment and struggle that's just part of the nature of the assignment there will be some wonderful open doors and at times there will be closed doors it's not always going to be easy but persevere don't grow weary in doing good for in due time you'll reap a good harvest if you don't grow weary and gang we have to make this internal decision because it will not be automatic to where I'm going to have some grit here. I'm going to persevere and see this through. I'm not going to let this get the best of me. And there will be times when you will think you are surrounded by something incredibly difficult. But God, my friends, has surrounded whatever you think is surrounding you. And no, you'll not be cushioned, but you will be kept. And even in that difficulty, even in that time of adversity, just sort of remind yourself that whatever you think is trying to defeat you, God in His greatness can use it to develop you, to develop the muscular, the muscle tone of our faith so that we have a tough faith resilient faith, a gritty faith. All right, here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. We are junior partners with the Holy Spirit, and He will do even more than we can ask or imagine. I'm going to close this message in sort of a, a little different way. I'm going to ask you not to believe something. It's important that as a believer, that, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us things to, to believe and what not to believe, how to behave, how not to behave. May I share with you a list of things 
I hope you never, ever believe. You must refuse to believe that the Christian life is dull and joyless. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. You must never, ever believe that hatred is more powerful than love. It is not. Watch love knock down one wall after another. You must never, ever believe that evil will triumph over good. It might win a skirmish. It's not going to overcome. You must never, ever believe that your service, your mission, your ministry, the good you do in Jesus' name is in vain. You must never believe that. You're not crazy for trying to make a difference for the Lord. And you must never, ever believe that God will forsake you or abandon you. He never will. And you must never, ever believe that death is the end. For the Christian, your death will be the crowning moment of your life when you take hold of the life that's truly life. God bless you, everybody. We get to be partners with the Holy Spirit, representing Jesus Sometimes in a public way, in a private way, sometimes in a big way, sometimes in a small way, but you're making a difference. Let your beliefs be clear. Don't be shocked when something is difficult or you have opposition or you have a season of awkwardness. It happens. Have grit. Push through. And believe that God is with you. Expect God to be at work.